This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre recorded. And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us to do this too. Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show special. Exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon. This is the Labor and Energy Show, bringing labor leaders, national experts, and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like RINs and Reggie, while explaining the truth about energy independence. Welcome to the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. And welcome in, everyone, to another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. Another week in the books, J. Doc, and as we continue to deliver the message here on the Labor Energy Show, as has become normal, another great lineup for our listening audience today. Oh, it's so funny you say that, Joe, because, um, you know, I love what we're doing with the broadcast. Uh, we're bringing in a who's who in labor and energy uh, across the country, and uh, we're, we're we're very fortunate. I sent out our uh, our uh, our July, our June and July schedule, okay, uh, and and the response we got was incredible. And, and and when I just look at the list, we got a great show today, unbelievable. Uh, I've Martin Williams, uh, who's the national coordinator of state legislative affairs, um, uh, you know, for the Boilermakers, and and uh, you know more work investment fund, you know, lot, lot, lots there. And of course, Mike Capone, but let me just tell you a little bit of who we got coming up. Uh, Stephen Coonan, who is uh, uh, nationally acclaimed, uh, you know, former director of Center for Urban Science and, and, and Progress at New York University. Um, just so much. He was actually uh, the undersecretary for science department in the Obama administration. Uh, and, and of course, uh, Robert Bryce, nationally acclaimed Texas-based author, journalist, podcaster. We have uh, PA State Senator Gene, Gene Yaw coming up, but he's he's uh, representing uh, Pennsylvania's 23rd Senatorial District. All these individuals are you know, incredibly knowledgeable and, and the who's who in, in energy uh, sector in not only Pennsylvania, but across the country. Can't wait to bring them to the general public. Can't wait to get our conversation with Martin. We'll introduce him uh, to our listening audience on the other side of the break. Don't forget a reminder during the hour of the Labor and Energy Show. Uh, listen attentively when we take a short pause for Did You Know? We'll continue to educate the listening audience. This is the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. We'll get started after the break. The Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters is proud to present skilled union workers, including the workers that build and maintain our energy infrastructure. The safest, best trained, and most productive carpenters in the country are on the job. Whether it's energy from nuclear, wind, coal, natural gas, or offshore wind, the EAS carpenters are ready to provide the construction need of an energy industry our families depend on. If you're interested in a job in construction, visit EASCarpenters.org or follow us on social at EAS Carpenters. 
And welcome back, everyone, to the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. We thank you so much, and we thank the listening audience, the growing listening audience that continues to consume uh, the weekly content of the Labor and Energy Show. Reminder, if you missed the show, uh, just go to Apple or Spotify, search Labor and Energy Show, and all of our previous shows are there for you to download, and you can listen to each program when you consume uh, your content. Yeah, and, and, and Joe, like I said in, in, in the opening, uh, we've got a fantastic show today. And uh, Martin Williams, National Coordinator of State Legislative Affairs, Moore Work Investment Fund, uh, National uh, Boar Makers Union. Uh, Martin, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. So it, it, it's it, it's our pleasure, uh, and 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 if you would for our listeners first, would you would you kind of talk about your title, uh, National Coordinator of State Legislative Affairs, and uh, and and tell us about the More Work Investment Fund. Well, um, my my title is is definitely a mouthful, <laughs> and, uh, and and trying trying to abbreviate it sometimes is even tougher. But uh, yeah, my my role as national coordinator of state legislative affairs. Uh, it, my main role is to engage state-level public officials and policymakers on issues important to the boilermakers. And as part of the Moral Work Investment Fund, that fund is a multi-pronged uh, approach you know, within the boilermakers to uh, expand opportunities for our members, uh, whether through um, recruitment or organizing or marketing, you know, the, the, the legislative component is just one part of that strategy. Um, and as you can imagine, it's a mix of offense and, and, and defense. So on the offense, you know, slash proactive angle, one of our main priorities has been to move state level legislation to, to improve safety in certain hazardous industries by requiring employers to focus on apprenticeship training. You know, we've had some success there. We hope for more. Um, we're also in the conversation on decarbonizing the power and industrial sectors because we know those conversations impact our members. Um, we we want to make sure that we're expanding opportunities for our members, but sometimes that means pushing back on proposals that we view as detrimental. And one of those has been you know, the, the effort to place Pennsylvania in the regional greenhouse gas initiative, which we've covered extensively on the show over the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, there's so, such a um, so much going on. But what's really interesting is that the, the position that the boilermakers have in the energy sector, um, it's a it's unique in the fact that, we, uh, you know, this is the labor and energy show and. And we have a lot of labor leaders from uh, all the different unions because, um, you know, a lot of them work in, in the refineries and, uh, you know, at least once, you know, at least once in a while, some of them more than others. But the boilermakers, um, you guys make a living at the refineries and, and a lot of the other plants. So you're at the forefront. We, Joe Krause and I even, we kind of like marvel a little bit at, at how we've kind of got where we're at uh, with the Labor and Energy Show and, and, and the education that yourself and, and John Bland and, uh, you know, uh, John Fultz and, and, and so many of the, uh, uh, you know, Sean Steffi uh, and, uh, and Jimmy Chu uh, have, have brought into the conversation. We started doing shows a couple of years ago 
starting off at PES, and, and we were like in the twilight zone, man. And you guys are right in the middle of that more than any other labor union. Uh, and, 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 and so we got educated. And what you guys do, and inspired by, uh, in a lot of ways, the, the national border makers and, and the local border makers, regional, um, you know, to, to get into this fight. And you talk about Reggie, yeah, Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. Joe Krause and I know that like we know our, you know, like we, we you know, like we know the labor show. I mean, it's we're, well, we're, and we want the public to know that. That's the that's the that's why exactly. this show is so important, so we can educate the public. And the one thing that I've learned, and I consider myself part of the public, I consider myself an outsider, sure. trying to understand it, trying to learn it, and trying to figure out what it means to me, how it impacts me. Martin, talk about that, being in the middle of, of, of all that, and really in a lot of ways, you know, holding the, holding the flag for it, because you guys um, are right out at the forefront of all these issues. That, and that's right. So, um, and, you know, one thing that we, that we bring up a lot is the need to, you know, embrace and, and all of the above, you know, energy strategy. So, and, and, and that's been brought up as part of, you know, the, the Reggie discussion is we, we understand that there are um, policymakers who, you know, want to make progress on, you know, addressing climate change. And, you know, we, we respond to that. Well, so do we, you know, we, we just, differ on how to get there. You know, we have to be, we have to be smart about the way that we're transitioning to this low and zero carbon future. We want to do it in a way that, you know, preserves and creates jobs and, um, you know, maintains opportunities, you know, for, for our members and other workers. But, you know, we also don't want to do it in a way that's going to, uh, you know, destroy communities and destroy opportunities. We have to, you know, we have to keep talking and be smart about this. Um, and and that's the main that's the main message that we try to convey. And so, having said that, uh, you know, kind of segueing into uh, you know some of the the things we want to talk about, the border makers have advocated on on the global, national, and local level for what we've talked about extensively uh, with 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 a number of people have talked about it. Uh, with, with last just last week with Corey Channon, who's a part of your international as well, a special assistant to the president, um, what carbon capture technology as a way of reaching uh, climate change goals and, and ultimately saving our planet, um, while at the same time preserving jobs. What exactly are the economic benefits of building and retrofitting with carbon capture as part of the global climate change solutions? Right. Um and so I'll let me address the first part. So Corey Shannon, uh, you know, he's our guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know we, and 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 that's why, like, I love being a part of this because we have a great team. You know, Corey Shannon is our uh, director of climate change policy solutions, and and our uh, government affairs director, Cecile Conroy. You know, both of them work really hard together to make sure that our positions are represented on the national and international stage. Um, but I also need to mention the leadership of our international president, Newton Jones. Uh, you know, he's, uh, when it comes to this, he's really a visionary and he's, he's been like that strong voice to keep us as relevant in this conversation, you know, as, 
as we've been. Um, as far as economic benefits of, of carbon capture, um, I, I think it's, I think it's important to talk about the industries that carbon capture will be applied to and, and where we fit in. You know, so when we, when we talk about the, uh, carbon capture, we're talking about applying it mainly in the power and industrial sectors. Um, so, you know, for example, facilities like power plants and steel mills and that plants, these are, these are facilities that serve an important need, you know, and they, they use resources, you know, coal, natural gas, oil. These are resources that our daily lives depend on. Yep. Um, but, you know, we, we also know that we have to, you know, we have to do what we can to reduce the level of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere to, to address climate change. You know, we, we have to do that. So we, we see the application of carbon capture to these sectors, you know, as a, as a win-win, um, as, as Corey often says, um, the, the facilities, you know, in these sectors that we're talking about are often, you know, huge pieces of the local and regional economy. They're, there are facilities that, like, they provide millions of dollars in state and local taxes. They support essential services. They support thousands of, you know, really good-paying jobs, including ours. They're, they're part of the community. So if we, can, if we can work to apply technology that allows for the responsible use of, you know, these affordable resources, address climate change, preserve and create jobs, maintain strong economic activity, you know, that is the outcome that we're, that we're looking for. And, and Martin, let me just jump in there because you, know, you talk about our, our traditional uh, energy resources. It's part of the infrastructure of our lives, our lives of our, of the world. Okay. We've spent hundreds, a uh, hundred years. Okay. And, and more, um, you know, building, you know, our societies based on these traditional energy resources. Now, let's say this. Yes, but, you know, we, we know that uh, renewables uh, are a thing in the future, but at the same time, um, what what makes sense to me, like Joe Krause said, I, I feel like, a, a, yeah, I'm an iron worker. I've worked at the refinery, um, you know, not often when I was when I was out there working, but I have um, a, a number of times, but, and I'm still a member of the general public. And so it makes sense to me. It makes sense to me since our our whole world is based on our traditional energy resources, and we're bringing in you know these uh, yeah, obviously the renewables that we don't shoot ourselves in the foot and try to erase everything we've ever done over a hundred plus years to to, to uh, shut ourselves literally shut ourselves down to have deadlines for ten or twenty years. Um, that are, uh, in my uh, uh, my opinion, a shoddy attempt to try to do something that we should. We should be focusing on carbon capture technology along with renewables, so that we can maintain what we have and get better at at at, at the the technologies that you're talking about. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you should you should come work for us. <laughs> That's the method that, that we try to. Uh, that we well, try to I'm learning from you guys, and I'm and I'm sitting here going. <laughs> it took us a hundred years to get our, our natural resources and our whole world in this direction, and we're hearing it. You know, situations like electric cars have to be in in ten, fifteen years. I mean, 
it sounds a little ridiculous. And what's important, like Joe Krause just said, is that it's our job to educate the public that we can have our cake and eat it too. Let's not, and that doesn't, and not to mention what's going on overseas, and we can't control them in these in these hostile countries. We're about to shut ourselves down, and 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 it's not necessary. That's that's right. You know, we uh, again, we need to we need to be smart about the trend, uh, the transition. And we need to have every solution on the table because there's um, there's opportunities with every solution, but we're we're also going to uh, it's going to make the transition easier. We'll be able to create a lot of jobs and you know keep our energy prices stable, keep our grid stable, um, and it's just it's, it's it's better for consumers, better for workers. Um, if we just don't put all of our eggs in one basket, absolutely. And I don't think I've heard anybody not prioritize. Uh, climate change, uh, the environment, we all care about it. Okay, just, you know, but, you know, you talk about solutions to our traditional energy resources and the world and, and, and the radicals and, and a lot of people who, who are really just thinking extremely go nuts. They just want to, like, they think that, they, that we can just shut ourselves down after 100 years of developing. Let's make an about face. Here's, shut the, one, here's the one thing that I don't understand. And, let me put it out there, and then we'll get to a break, and then we'll continue our conversation with Martin. Here's the one thing that I don't understand. How does such a small percentage oh, yeah. of people supporting or pushing out this narrative control the bigger percentage of the population that knows we need to sustain what we're doing. How does that happen? I don't get that. Well, I'd I like to ask Martin that question. I have a theory, but Martin, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, we might need another show dedicated just to that. Yeah, so right. the, um, yeah the, the, the advocacy from the environmental movement, it, it's not something that's happened overnight. You know, this has been, you know, decades of, a sustained effort on their part to, uh, you know, draw attention to what they perceive the benefits of, of renewable energy, you know, is, but, you know, I, I, I've said to, you know, friends and colleagues, you know, we can actually take a lesson in, you know, their effort is they don't give up, right. They, they just keep hammering the message home. They keep engaging with public officials. You know, they, they work the public advocacy angle, we need to do the same thing. And I think in many respects we are with the coalitions that we participate in. Um, we have to, we have to work as hard or harder to make our position known and, and, and uh, communicate what the benefits are. This is the labor and energy show with J doc and Krause. We'll take a short commercial break back in a moment. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know there are 6,000 products made from petroleum that we use every day? Products like candles, trash bags, fishing rods, shower curtains, paint, umbrellas, tennis rackets, and another 5,993. Did you know? 
first charted in 1903, Steamfitters Local 420 has been constructing and installing mechanical systems throughout the Delaware Valley for over a century. United by excellence, this local is proud to have worked on projects such as the Sun Oil Refineries, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and the stadiums for all our Philly teams. From helmets to hard hats, Local 420 represents the history of Philadelphia. Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, business manager. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are being supported by the members of the Labor Union community, including Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, Business Manager, the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, and the United Steelworkers. And welcome back, everyone, to the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. Thanks so much uh, for tuning in. One programming alert, J-Doc. We are starting to put together our Energy Summit conversations that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. And we're starting to zero in now on that first big summit, uh, which I know we're looking for the right date in August, but we will get it in um, our first summit. And then that will create a list of summits that will follow, and they are going to be incredibly informative, two-hour specials. Um, look, really looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. The summits, we're doing them industry-specific, uh, uh, So, and, and, and what's going to happen is we're going to have the who's who in labor and in the energy sectors, in the different sectors, and I can say this. Uh, they're, in a sense, going to bring everybody. They're going to broadcast from uh, all the way up the Mid-Atlantic coast, from Philly to, to uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, we're going to start off in, in, in uh, mid-August with the, with the refinery sector. We're going to go into the shale sector. Uh, we're going to get talk, We're going to get into all of the areas um, of, of energy that are important, and they're about education and awareness. You, Joe Crouch, you talk about did you know? Let me tell you, they're speaking in layman's terms, some of the smartest people on the planet. And I can tell you that you, you listen to Martin Williams, okay, Corey Channon, and, and the Boilermakers International. I mean, we're talking smart people. I mean, no you know, and, and so our job is to make sure the public has that information. Uh, uh, Martin, let's, you know, you, first of all, I want to, you know, obviously remind our listeners, Martin, Martin Williams, uh, National Coordinator, State Legislative Affairs, More Work Investment Group, International Boilermakers Union, um, is our guest uh, today on our uh, on the first uh, half of the broadcast. And, 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 and having said that, Martin, you, you mentioned jobs. Um, what does the carbon capture technology and all that stuff mean for jobs for the boilermakers and, and others who work in the, in the, in a heavy uh, fossil fuel industry? So, you know, Joe, but you mentioned uh, your time, you know, working in the trades. The, the, the really cool thing about working in the trade is seeing how everything connects to everyday life and, and, and knowing that you had a part in it. All right. So, you know, growing up, my my father, you know, as he was, you know, driving by with me in the car, you know, he'd see some storage tank or, you know, a power plant or a water tower, you know, and he'd, he'd look at it, you know, with a, with a lot of pride and say, you know, I helped build that. And, and as, a, as a kid, you know, so like you perceive that as just dad telling stories. But after becoming a Boilermaker myself, you know, like I, I got it. Right. I, I understood. I, I got how important the work is because I, I found myself telling similar stories as I, as I drove past, you know, those 
same or other facilities. Right. And before you say um, another yeah. word, I want you to say that I can relate to that totally. If my, my wife turns the music up loud, if I drive past, uh, you know, the high rise buildings in Center City and I tower one more time, I worked on that, building, <laughs> you know, and the refineries. But, yeah, I, I absolutely get it. Yeah, no, that's exactly that. So that's that's what we're talking about here. Right. We're you know, we're we're talking about thousands and thousands of hardworking men and women who have honed their skills, you know, in industries that are vital to the country. You know, so we owe it to them to figure out how to preserve jobs and create jobs as we transition to this low and zero carbon future. Um, so specifically with, with respect to jobs in CCUS, um, the Rhodium Group, which is an independent research firm, you know, they've done some pretty good work on this. Um, in their report, you know, they, they provide job creation estimates for uh, typical CCUS retrofit projects. So, for example, on a, what their report estimates on a typical coal-fired power plant carbon capture retrofit, they estimate somewhere between 1,800 and a little over 3,300 jobs during construction. All right. Natural gas is similar. The estimate is, you know, 1,100 to a little over 2,000. That's a lot of jobs, right? And from the Boilermaker perspective, the opportunity for our members is huge because we know on projects like those, a sizable number will be Boilermaker jobs. But Joe, let's, let's take that out a little further and, and we'll use Pennsylvania as an example. If we look at the, if we look at the raw number of facilities that could potentially take advantage of carbon capture and, you know, that's based on emissions levels and, and, you know, federal tax incentives for carbon capture, that number is, uh, 81 in Pennsylvania, you know, combined, combined power and industrial. So if we use the estimates from, the rhodium report and say, all right, let's, let's say carbon capture is applied to just a 10th of those facilities. We're still talking, you know, seven to 8,000 jobs during construction. And a big number of those jobs are going to be Boilermaker jobs. And that's just Pennsylvania. Yeah. So the nationwide potential is tremendous. And that's what keeps us motivated. Yeah, know, I- creating jobs for our members in a, in a low and zero carbon future. And, and what's interesting about it is we, we talked to uh, uh, John Blanchard and Steffi, uh, I guess last week or a couple of weeks ago on the broadcast, and uh, they, it, Sean went to, uh, and, and, and Sean's a business agent, and it, it, I believe it's local 154 uh, near the Pittsburgh Area Boilermakers Union, and he was uh, talking, he went, he went as an experiment to some of these renewable job, job fairs, okay, and uh, you, you, you think that it, it makes common sense that we would just, you know, educate our, our, our union workforce on, on these other uh, areas of technology. And I know you guys do use trend, you know, you do it all. But, that, you know, this, we're, what we're talking about, what you're talking about is good paying union jobs that you can sustain a family uh, and, and, and a livelihood and a life on. Uh, one of the things Sean Steppy said, what he was talking about, since we're talking about jobs, Joe Krause, you remember, $15 an hour. 
Okay, they're not jobs. You can't even if if you're going from a, a living wage job, which we're talking about, Martin Williams is talking about right now, and this is important technology with uh, great technicians uh, from our union community, from from the Boilermakers Union. Uh, these are highly skilled. Yeah, these are great paying jobs. You have to go on public assistance if you're going to transition into that particular. In, into that particular, uh, at least at the, that particular job fair. Um, and, and so uh, these are good paying jobs, right, Martin? And, and that's right. So, and, and what you described, and, and we brought this up during uh, the debate on Reggie, we brought this up with a number of um, you know, members of the legislature. If, if we're talking about, if we're talking about a transition, we want to make sure that new jobs that are being created are going to are going to sustain a family, or at least uh, be on the same level as, as what you know workers currently enjoy. And I'll give you an example. So, um, most of the trades that are involved in you know power plant operation or maintenance, nearly all of them make more annually, you know, than the the statewide average across all job classifications and. Uh, using the boilermakers as an example, uh, we we make in Pennsylvania we make close to thirty thousand dollars, you know, more than the statewide average across all job classifications, and we're pretty proud of that. You know, those are those are wages that we've negotiated with our employers because of the the skills required and the conditions that you know, our members are expected to work in. But uh, right, a fifteen dollar an hour solar job, which some envision as the future for us, <laughs> you know, that's not going to sustain a family, and and that's not the you know that's not the future economy we want our members to live in. Martin, let me take it one step further. Sustaining jobs have a direct impact into the community where people live and pay taxes, and shop, and contribute. And so the fallout, the action, has an adverse reaction that ultimately has an impact or an effect on all of us when that occurs. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So uh, when you have a facility that is supporting you know, hundreds or thousands of, of really good paying jobs. Uh, that money is being spent in the community. That facility is paying, you know, millions of dollars in state and local taxes. They're supporting the school district, supporting essential services. Once that facility is taken away, then it's a downward spiral. So that community or municipality is going to have to figure out how to make up for lost revenue. It de-incentivizes investment in the future. Um, and people move out, and yeah, I mean you're you're contributing to an economic decline. See, that's the one thing, J. Doc, that I want the listening audience to understand. It, it's one thing to make a decision, or, or, or to live with a, na- a narrative that's being pushed. It's another to understand what it means to me as an individual or as a family or as the community. And as Martin just said, 
whether it's taxes to support the school system or the local government or whatever it is, whatever that tax base is that is funneling money into the community, when that's gone, that's gone. Well, you know what's interesting about it? Martin said, you know, when, when we were talking about, like, like you said, how... You know, how did it get to this point? How did such, you know, so few people, and it's not few people, the environmental movement is, is, is big. Probably the large majority don't have the Is the environmental movement bigger than our movement? No, it's not. They're just they're, over, they're just being they're just loud. They're just louder. But let me just say one thing. Um, that's because we're just starting our uh, re, we're just starting our movement and saying the buck stops here. Not that we don't care about uh, environment or renewables. We do. But we don't. But one of the things we've talked about a lot is uh, Twilight Zone-esque. Okay, when you look at this situation, Martin, and 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 you you wonder who's got the motives to do to do insane stuff like shut ourselves down when six thousand products comprise are comprised of uh, it, that we use every day, including hand sanitizer, including uh, you know turbines, wind turbines that use uh, fossil fuels, then you got to wonder. Well, you know, when you're in the twilight zone, wonder why. Well, let, here's an interesting reason why. They're, you know, this is an example of the, the rich getting richer. Here we are, trend, you know, theoretically, somebody wants to shut our our traditional energy sources down and transition to $15 an hour jobs. Who's making the money for that? Who's making the money? Because if because if I'm the guy that owns them companies and owns that industry, yeah, shut it all down. I'll worry about it later while the people while it's a hundred degrees outside and the wind's not blowing. Yeah, but that that that's great. I'm that's just great. saying. I, I don't want to get nuts. lost in a conversation with you, but my point Crazy. is, and I don't disagree with you. My point is that conversation shouldn't have the ability to resonate as big as it is because if 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 you look at the facts. And you look at the truth and you apply common sense to fact and truth, we should not be having this conversation. Yeah, obviously, that's why I said the Twilight Zone, uh, you know, esque situation. By the way, Martin, are, are you still there? I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> well, Brown, well, sorry here. about that, Martin. J Doc runs on sometimes. Oh, yeah. He's very difficult to control in the studio. <laughs> yeah, he's got me in constraints here. So he, he says uh, radio's here to mind. Well, there you go. Um, you know, we're talking about a lot of great things. What do we got left, Joe, on, on this segment? Well, we can do one of two things. We've got to we, we've got to get to a break in about a minute and a half. Now, if Martin can hang with us, I can get us to a break and get us back, and we'll finish up on the other side. Can you do another segment, Martin? I'll certainly hang in. Awesome. All right, perfect. All right, let's do let's do this instead of doing a minute and a half. Let's do this. Okay. Um, we'll take a short commercial break. This is the Labor and Energy Show with J Doc and Krause. We'll come right back and then we'll finish up our conversation. You'll have four or five minutes on the other side of the break, and we'll finish up our dialogue Sounds with Martin. Great. Back in a moment. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. And right back here on the Labor and Energy Show with Jay Doc and Krause as we broadcast to you every week 
right here. And again, a reminder, you can catch the podcast. Go to Apple or Spotify and just search the Labor and Energy Show. Jay, Doc, all yours. Yeah, uh, we're talking to Martin Williams, National Coordinator of State Legislative Affairs, More Work Investment Fund, International Boilermakers Union. Fascinating conversation. Uh, just talked about jobs, talking about carbon capture. Uh, what about the uh, what about for the environment, Martin? The, the boilermakers have said that carbon capture, use, and storage at CCUS is critical for the environment. Why is that specific technology so important? Right. So, I mean, that's, that's a good question. Um, as I've advocated for carbon capture, you know, I tell public officials, policymakers, if you don't, if you don't believe us, you know, believe the scientists, right? So the, the consensus of the global scientific community tells us that we are not going to achieve global climate targets of lowering atmospheric concentrations of carbon dioxide without carbon capture. And that point, that point was made clear in the, the, the latest UN climate change report. But, you know, just, just as we've talked about, you know, job creation and the multiplier effect with, with job creation and, and, you know, for example, one job supports numerous other jobs in the community. Carbon capture has an environmental multiplier effect, you know, and, and that's because of the potential of carbon capture, you know, capture carbon to be used for, for making other things. Um, you know, so even though carbon capture is going to capture 90% or more of carbon dioxide at the source, that captured carbon, you know, can be used, for example, to uh, extract more oil and gas from depleted wells, you know, in a process called um, enhanced oil recovery. Um, it can be... Uh, it can be used to manufacture low carbon fuel. It can be applied to facilities like steel mills and cement plants. And, and in that case, now you're talking about producing low carbon steel, low carbon cement, which means that we're going to be producing all of the materials that we need to keep building our infrastructure and economy, but in an environmentally responsible way. So, you know, that's the role that carbon capture is going to play with uh, addressing environment. It's going to reduce carbon emissions from production all the way to end use. Yeah. And that's what, that's the message that we communicate. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's so important. Um, this, this conversation, and that's why we wanted to kind of finish on it because um, there's so much here, by the way, I mean, you know, I have half of my, half of my uh, interview, we haven't even gotten to, um, so, I mean, but, but utilizing carbon capture uh, technology in so many different areas uh, is, is, is such an, an important thing. Uh, if you would, Martin, and I, I know you got to take off, um, but any, any, any closing words, um, you, know, on, you know, in this particular area to the potential of the success we can have if we, you know, for lack of a better term, exploit carbon capture technology and educate the public on it. So, I mean, I, what I would encourage you know, members of the public to do is, um, again, we're, we're in a state of transition and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of terms and a lot of, uh, you know, technical descriptions that are being thrown at people. But I would just advocate to, to keep an open mind um, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these technologies are being developed with 
the industry and, and government working hand in hand. And the the objective, you know, we we talked about the motives of you know the the environmental movement. Um, Joe, I tend to be an optimist, you know, um, and at the end of the day, I I really believe that. Uh, our fundamental goals, you know, uh, with our quote unquote opponents, our, our fundamental goals are the same. You know, we want to, we want to address the environment and, you know, create jobs, but we, we differ on how to get there. You know, we differ on, uh, the, the roads that we're going to take. We need to just keep talking. We need to keep engaging. We're going to, we're going to figure out where those areas of agreement are. We need, you know, all of us in labor, we have to stay engaged because um, you know, labor's, labor's history is, is full of these transitional moments, right? And this is one of them. And we need to make sure that our new energy future is union-built with good pay, good benefits, safe conditions and opportunities for everyone. That's our responsibility. Absolutely. That's Martin Williams, National Coordinator, State Legislative Affairs, More Work Investment Fund, International Board Makers Union. Uh, Martin, uh, thank you so much for being on the broadcast. Uh, we, we didn't get almost a half of what I wanted to get to because obviously we provided so much information. Can't wait to have you on again. And uh, man, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, the Boilermakers International is leading the fight here. And uh, we really appreciate your time, my friend. All right. My pleasure. And I, I look forward to uh, talking with you in the future. Sounds good, my friend. That's Martin Williams, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, fantastic information. That's what we're talking about, Joe. No doubt about it. This is The Labor Show with J-Doc and Krause. Short break. We'll be back on the other side. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know carbon capture and storage can capture more than 90% of CO2 emissions? Did you know? What's a Boilermaker? We're the skilled welders, riggers, and craftspeople who will help you grow your competitive edge. We step up when others step back, and we do the job right, on time, on budget, and safely. No drama, just results every time. We're the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, and everything we do begins with our bond. Let's get to work together. Visit bestintrade.com. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are presented by PBF Energy and supported by members of the labor union community, a collaborative to educate the public and change the narrative. And welcome back, everyone, to the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause, our final segment on this week's edition of the Labor and Energy Show. And again, a reminder, don't forget all of the Labor and Energy broadcast are now available on podcast. Just go to Apple or Spotify, search the Labor and Energy Show, J-Doc, and you'll be able to download and listen to all of this great content. We finish it up now with a great guest joining us. Absolutely, Joe. I'm, I'm ecstatic to bring into the uh, broadcast Mike Capone, who's the general manager for the Pauls Barrow and Delaware City Refineries. Uh, Mike, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Congratulations on the new program. 
thank you so much. And you guys made it happen. So uh, we thank you as well uh, as, as, uh, as we continue to train, change the narrative. I want to talk about something, uh, obviously, that's, that's in our face right now. Uh, refining got a lot of airtime last week with the president asking refiners to produce more. There's finally a realization, it seems, that, that it's a bad thing that we've lost over a million barrels per day of refining capacity in this country over the last three years. So we understand why you can't just flip a switch and turn these things back on. But I don't know if listeners really understand it. Uh, can you talk or, or at least walk us through in kind of general terms what goes into restarting a refinery that has been what we would say mothballed? How long does it take? How much money uh, does it take? And, and, and what needs to be done? If you would walk us through that process. I'd be happy to. Uh, and uh, I'm going to tell you right up front, there's probably uh, no simple one answer to this. And unfortunately, you are 100% right. There's no easy button for us to push and just flip the switch. Um, simply put, a lot of work goes into restarting these units. Um, and I am fortunate to know that because earlier this year, we restarted two of the units in Paulsboro that had been idled at the end of 2020. Mm -hmm. When I think about this, I look at it from three perspectives. The first is people. You cannot restore a process unit that has been idled for any period of time let alone operate that unit once it has been restored without people. And I'm not talking about your everyday run-of-the-mill person. I'm talking about highly skilled, highly trained individuals. This work to restart these units is competing against all other work. So right off the bat, the very first question you have to ask is if you can get the workforce you need, the right complement of skills, craftsmen, skilled labor, the right complement of skills in the right numbers needed to do the work. And then once you get the unit restored, they have to be operated by trained and qualified operators. We were fortunate in Paulsboro that we were able to go back and rehire a number of people that had been let go. So these were folks that were in the refinery before. And even with that, it took us 12 weeks to get these people in the door and trained on their specific units. Second thing you need to consider is the equipment. What condition is it in? Because that's going to dictate how much time, how much effort, how much money is required to get the unit ready to run. You start by looking at how it was shut down. In Paulsboro, PDF made the deliberate choice to shut the equipment down in a manner that preserved the option to restart. That added time and cost to our shutdown. Not everyone makes that choice. I'm, I'm blessed because PBS did, and it made it possible for us to safely and efficiently restart those two units this year. Now, real quick, because I, I know that, that, that you don't have a lot of time, but I want to say one thing. Did, do, do, do the powers that be understand this? Do they think we could just flick, like we said in the question, do they think we can just flick a button and turn the lights on and off that simple? Yeah, I believe that they do underestimate the work required. You know, you, you need to you need to assess that condition of that equipment. That's going to dictate how much work you're doing to, to get it ready to run. It matters if that equipment has been idled for a week or a year. It matters if the condition was in tip-top shape when you shut it down or was it the, at the end of a run and, you know, had some problems going into the shutdown. Yeah, and this isn't All for free. All of that it, it, you know, potentially it's, adds a lot of cost. Yeah, so I was just going to say, and it's not for free, right? Exactly. Yeah, you know, you got to 
the hiring people takes money, restoring equipment takes money, getting feedstocks lined up uh, to run once you're ready to run. That takes money. Everything takes money, and you got to look at where it's coming from. Do you have the cash you need on hand, or are you going to have to go raise uh, raise equity, uh, issue debt? All of that needs to be considered because at the end of the day, uh, we are a publicly traded company. We are responsible to our shareholders to make investment decisions. We need to be confident that we can generate a return. The smaller the investment, the quicker the payback, the more likely we are to take the risk. The bigger the investment required, the more uncertain, the longer it takes to make that payback, the less likely we are to take that risk because there are some regulatory concerns, right? You know, things that can get in the way of you being able to recapture that investment and reward your your shareholders. So, so, so Mike, e- even if we had a magic wand, we could wave it and reopen all the refining capacity we've lost, would we even have enough crude uh, to run in these facilities? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, you know, without a doubt, the narrative right now is supply is tight. There's not enough crude. Um, and, and you're seeing pricing responding to what is, a, without a doubt, an inelastic marketplace. But fundamentally, the truth is, yes, if the million-plus barrels of U.S. capacity that have been lost since 2020 came back, yes, there is crude to run, but you're going to need a couple additional magic wands. Today, the U.S. is exporting, exporting 3 million barrels a day of crude. There is a surplus of crude in the Gulf Coast which has to be exported, while at the same time, the East Coast and West Coast are short crude, and we are importing from foreign producers. If we had the ability to move crude more easily to the coastal refiners, some of that U.S. crude could stay home. So what's stopping that is the lack of pipelines. The lack of pipelines, we don't have a single crude pipeline within 200 miles of the East Coast. Unbelievable. The lack of pipeline means crude can only come in by rail, which has its own problems, or over the water. The Jones Act is an important uh, piece of legislation that protects shipping, but it makes the movement of hydrocarbon, crude oil, finished products, from one U.S. port to another very expensive. The net result is that the East Coast refiners are reliant on foreign crude at the same time that the U.S. is exporting U.S. crude overseas. Incredible. So if you still have that magic wand, yeah, we, we could use some help on some targeted Jones Act waivers to relax those restrictions. Mike Capone joining us here on the Labor and Energy Show. We're going to run out of time before we cover everything that we need to cover. But, Mike, I've got to ask you um, just more of an opinion than anything else. Why is it that something that is so obvious to even the general public right now, and we can't get it done? Well, the powers that be obviously don't understand. But why is it not obvious to them? That's what I don't understand. Yeah, get that magic wand out again, Mike. What do you think? There is no magic wand. (laughs) Exactly. Let's get that magic wand. I think the answer is exactly the reason that you exist. There is a compelling uh, narrative on the other side that says fossil fuels are bad and fossil fuels are destroying the world. And you know what? The fossil fuel industry is not necessarily clean, right? We have had our issues over the years. 
But that narrative ignores the benefit that comes from fossil fuels and chooses to ignore some of the obvious truths. Mike, that is, I think, what you're saying. Mike, we got a, a couple minutes left, and I don't want to cover this last uh, this last question. Um, a, a lot of folks uh, think of fuel when they, when they think of refining. We have talked about many times on this show how refineries also make chemicals that, that are a part of that comprise things that are a part of our everyday life. What's the current market for the other products? And can you highlight some of the other products that come out of our East Coast facilities um, and, and what other industries they support? Sure. Um, like you said, refineries make a wide range of products that touch our lives in a, in a variety of ways. Right? Everyone knows the big three. We know gasoline. We know diesel. We know jet fuel. But they're not the only products we make. Um, if, for example, if you're planning on uh, busting out your barbecue grill uh, and using a little uh, gas grill to, to, to have some food this holiday weekend, there's a good chance that that gas grill has propane in the gas tank. That propane is coming out of a refinery. If you're an old fart like I am, you might remember waving a lighter in the air during a, a rock concert. That lighter is filled with butane. That's another product that is made in a, in a refinery. In Delaware City, we make chemical feedstock. Things like propylene, benzene, toluene, nonine, things I can't even say. These are streams that find their way into an array of finished products. Things like paints and plastics, solar panels, medicines, even mobile phones. Over in Paulsboro, we make, uh, in addition to the fuels, we make lubricant base oils. Those are the building blocks for finished lubricants that we use to keep our machinery running efficiently. Um, we also make asphalt in Paulsboro, uh, which is, which you know is a critical component of, that we use to pave roads. Uh, bottom line, the outputs of refineries truly find their way into every facet of modern life. Yeah, and Mike, you put it incredibly well. And these are issues that you don't hear, uh, you know, any, you know, you don't hear them on the news. You don't hear the the, the, the environmentalists talking about this. So that if we actually got rid of, you know, the, our, our traditional energy resources, what the hell would we do? Back to the last question. If it's so obvious and right in front of us, why are we not willing to pressure? Or, or to call, or to put it out there. Because they don't to force know, Joe. Because they don't know. And like Mike Capone just said, it's the reason we're here. Mike, listen. Um, Good stuff today, Mike. It, thank it, you. It, it, it was fast, but it was sweet. And uh, we cannot thank you enough for sharing that information. We left a couple things on the table that we'll catch the next time. But we appreciate Fantastic. you being, being on the program, my friend. My pleasure. All right. Good stuff from Mike Capone wrapping us up here on the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. Again, go to Apple or Spotify, search the Labor and Energy Show. And if you miss any of today's broadcast, you can download it and listen to it at your convenience. That's going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show. On behalf of my partner, J-Doc, on behalf of um, Mike Capone, and on behalf of myself, Joe Krause. And Martin Williams. And Martin Williams. We'll see you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. You can help. Call your congressperson before the upcoming midterm elections and join the movement to push back on RINs. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. 
PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today.